Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1, apathetic worship. We are trying to really unpack some of these verses here. Apathy, what is that? Apathy is a, um, is a lack of emotion. It's a lack of interest. It's a listlessness. It's a, it's a numbness. It's a, it's a place where people become lethargic and they become somewhat indifferent, numb or dull in hearing. I'll use a New Testament uh, a phrase. And so when we're speaking of apathy and worship, we're, we're dealing with a spiritual condition uh, that shows up even in the midst of good churches, even in the midst of good Bible-centered, Bible-believing churches, people that are studying the Word, uh, apathy can come. Uh, teenagers that could be raised in church, apathy can easily come. Uh, in the middle of prayer meetings and in the midst of tithing and, and giving and people serving, Coming this morning with the, uh, de- the, uh, the desire to send missionaries and, and uh, preaching on heaven and hell. And, but, but, but there's the possibility, and yea, it could exist even this morning amongst us, that we can drift into apathy. A, uh, a very, very subtle and dangerous, dangerous place to be. And, and let me just demonstrate how this at least looks. Because in a service, we had, I think, over 50 people this morning in the 9 o'clock service and a good full house here today. This is not just a rebuke. I'm just saying here as an indicator, a visual indicator across the nation uh, that our service from Sunday to Wednesday night in terms of attendance will drop off the cliff. And so we'll have here anywhere between 200 to 300 people on a Sunday morning. And then when we come here for prayer meeting on Wednesday night, then there's just a handful of people for prayer. And that's just across the board. And so apathy shows up in the idea that Sunday is my religious duty. I come in, I do my, my religious activity for the weekend, it's my God thing, but I don't want anything else to interfere with my life the rest of the week. Now with that, of course, I know there's schedules. I know I understand that. But I'm saying as a church, as a whole, there are people that will no problem forsaking the assembling of ourselves on a Sunday night or even a Wednesday night where they have nothing else to do and they will not come to the house of God. And so there appears to be a very little interest in the majority of Christians in a uh, a ministry or a dedication to contacting visitors and teaching the Bible and, and witnessing and, and singing from the heart and, and having a, a fervency to you about the things of God. It's not manufactured. It's not conjured up. It's from a deep-seated gratitude that you have for God. So there's a huge, huge problem in our country with apathy worship or apathetic worship. It's, it's not paganism. It's not, we're not worshiping golden idols. We're not, uh, we're not uh, worshiping other deities. No, we're not doing that at all. We're worshiping God. But what was happening in Malachi's day is what's happening in many churches across our land this morning. And so going back to Malachi chapter 1, if you have your Bible there, uh, noting here Israel, kind of giving you a background to this, uh, God had arranged uh, as God chose Israel as a nation 
to be uh, entrusted by being the light to the Gentiles. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. God used this nation, Israel, to be uh, what he wanted to be, the light of the world. But he arranged for Israel to be able to worship him. And, uh, and, and give praise and, and bring get gratitude. And it would be hopefully natural for people that have been redeemed by their God to want to come back and say thank you, to want to come back and bring their sacrifices. So he arranged harvest festivals in the land, and those harvest festivals would be in the spring. Uh, those har- har- harvest, harvest festivals would be in the summer, even in the fall. And each time a harvest festival was brought in, they would bring the fruit of the land, if you would, to as an offering to the Lord. And uh, there would be Passover, uh, Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and because they were harvest festivals, there was a kind of a joy in the land. I mean, the, the, the grain is off the field, the corn is in the bins. Uh, everyone uh, is uh, hopefully happy because of the uh, good harvest that they had. And so they were instructed to bring the first fruits of their, uh, their, their, their harvest to the Lord. And, uh, and so they would come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and, uh, they would bring their wheat. They would bring their fruits. They would bring, uh, those that they grew from the field as thanks offerings to the Lord. And uh, it wasn't as if God needed the food. Uh, it was, they needed God's presence and they needed God's provisions. And, and so Israel wanted to bring those offerings to God, uh, because God wanted to bless them and they should have wanted God to bless them. But listen to this, to refuse to bring an offering, which is their choice to refuse to bring or even offer an offering to God was to say to God, in fact, that you're not necessary. I mean, I don't need you. I did not need you in the harvest. I did not need you when I planted. I did not need you when we cultivated that field. Uh, in fact, I can really live my life without you to say that to God would be demonstrated by not bringing an offering of gratitude to him. So someone that would not worship God would be saying essentially the same thing. I don't need you. I I don't uh, reverence you. I don't uh, think that you're all that uh, important in my life. And so when it came to worship, and when they would bring these gifts, not only were they to bring an offering to the Lord, but the, the offering had to pass two major tests. And, uh, and this is where Malachi gets very specific on what was happening. Uh, the important part of this is that if their tests were not uh, uh, accepted, or rather passed, then uh, the offering was not uh, accepted. And so in many cases, only God would know, and only they would know if that offering uh, was what it should be or not. And that's the blessing. And that's kind of the difficulty of a sermon like this, because it's not something many times you can even see. It's something that you know in your heart. So what they had to do is they had to bring number one, what was first from their field. They couldn't bring seconds or thirds. They had to bring the first fruits. That was God's. Amen. And nothing else mattered, just the first fruit. He didn't want the second. He didn't want the uh, the third cutting. He wanted the first fruits. He also wanted the first fruits of the animals. But it can't be just any animal. It had to be the best animal. Now, here's the principle on this. God always wants first. God's always indication that he wants what you have for him to be first. He wants the first years of your life. 
Amen. He wants the first fruits of all thine increase. First, all through the Bible. Uh, and you'll find that when the children of Israel went into Jericho, Jericho was the first city that they destroyed when they went in to conquer the land. And Jericho was God's. Everything in Jericho was God's. Uh, the Bible says it was a curse. You can't take anything for you or you'll make yourself a curse. And of course, you understand what happened with Achan. He stole from God. He hid it under his tent. And God uh, had to remove the sin from the camp. And that was a horrible, horrible lesson uh, for Israel to see a man and his family and his beasts all stoned publicly to bring glory to God. Why? He took what was first. So to bring an inferior gift or one that was not first to God was to fail that, if you would, sacrificial test. And if one did do that, what they were saying is that they did not think much of God. So the quality, this is the principle here, the quality of the gift indicates the value the giver places on the one receiving the gift. All right, y'all with me so far? The quality of the gift reveals or places value on the one that is receiving the gift. In other words, it was, it was something that you indicated by the value. So this is true of in a human relationship. Can you imagine me taking my wife out for, a, for an anniversary dinner and giving her a mop? Are you all here? So your husband said, oh, I did that. Uh, no, uh, but if I went out there and I gave her a nice ring and I gave her something that is nice and, and to, to beautify and, 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 and make her, if you would, uh, feel good, and, and that would be a different gift. Here's a mop, honey. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work for another 20 years. All right? So, so watch this. And maybe husbands don't think much of the wives, but the, the, to the degree of the value of you give the gift, of your gift, uh, shows the value of the giver, that is the giving or the person receiving the gift. And so the prophet comes along the scene and what he does, he rebukes Israel. You find, you find Haggai comes in, uh, Zechariah comes in, uh, and now Malachi, last book of the Bible. They're going to go into the New Testament in about 400 years. This is different. They're not pagans. They're, they're just full of apathy. They slipped into apathy and there's a rebuke, there's a reproof, they're needing correction, they're needing exhorting and the earlier periods they had to deal with a different set of problems. This time it's different, it's much different and it's much more uh, subtle. So uh, Malachi comes on and he begins to address the, the on a whole different set of problems, a, a problem that happens in Bible believing churches today. So number one. Number one, and God wants, by the way, God is not pleased with just coming together. And that's not number one. That's just another fault. All right. God's just not pleased with you just coming together. All right. I went to church today. Uh, So what? Well, I'm in church. So? So how are you here? Why are you here? What is the purpose of you being here? Why are you watching online that can't perhaps meet in a local assembly where you're at? Number one. Apathetic worship, apathetic worship despises the name of the Lord. And that's a very strong point that God makes here to Malachi, to, to those in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Very strong point. And one, if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Because there's several phrases that are repeated in just the first chapter stating, I am the Lord of the host. Y'all with me so far? 
God makes sure that they know who's speaking to them. Are y'all here so far? Look at verse number six. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then, if then I be a father, who is, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Now, here's the first couple of thoughts about this. Uh, this, of course, uh, phrase here, uh, verse number one, a son honoreth his father, next, this servant his master. Both we would fully agree with. Every child, every son ought to honor his father. It's, tr- it's true, right? I mean, that's a good thing. When you see a rebellious son to a father, that's a dishonorable thing. It's not a good thing to see. Nor is it someone that is a servant to a master, or can say it this way, an employee to an employer uh, that uh, has all the answers and, and of how the company ought to be run and runs down the boss. And if I were the boss, uh, I would run it different than this. And I can't stand his wages that he pays us. I don't like him. I don't like what he drives. And every employer knows that your employees know much more about your company than you do. Right? At least they think they do. So here is the employee, if he is mouthing off about his boss, that's a dishonorable thing. So these two statements uh, would be very agreeable. No, I mean, a servant should honor his master. A son ought to honor his father. But then if you look here, if then I, now look at this, this switch here. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? I said this to the nine o'clock service. Listen, it's amazing how God takes things that you understand to help you to understand things that you do not understand. You understand these two relationships. Now, let me just give you something you're not understanding. Where is my honor? Where is the honor that I am to have? If I be a a master, where is my fear? The second question. Now, look at the phrase here, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, you'll see that phrase over and over again, and I'll mention that in just a little bit. So Malachi turns their attention to the spiritual. He is now bringing them into a relationship. They probably don't even realize how far they've drifted from God. But in doing this, you'll find this last phrase here, wherein have ye despised thy name? Now, watch this. The last phrase here. Oh, priest. Oh, let me say it, the Lord of hosts. Oh, priest that despise my name. This word despise is brought up. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here are these people. They're bringing their sacrifices, or a sacrifice. Uh, they're in the place of worshiping God. Okay. They're offering their prayers. They're offering even possibly incense. And yet there is no fear of God. Uh, there is no honor of the father. Inside this, if you would, setting. And the result was, is that they were despising God. The word despise means to condemn, to scorn, to disdain, to have the lowest opinion of. Now, folks, this is where it gets difficult. Because none of us would say, I despise God. Or I have a low opinion of God. It's not seen and heard in what we say. It's seen in what we do. Is you, you all with me so far? And how we approach, how we come to God. So the priest thought that they were doing everything right. Saying their prayers and being a blessing and bringing the sacrifices, going through the motions to where they came to him and said, where and how we despise thee. You ever have a teenager tell, tell you, where? What did I do wrong? You all with me so far? Where they don't get it. 
And it may be they don't understand. They could have said to Malachi, what are you talking about? We're in the temple. There's no golden calf here. Uh, we're worshiping, we're sacrificing, we're attending. We'll use our, we're, we're, we're going to the Bible study. We're, we're in our prayer and uh, we're in Sunday school. Now, now you get serious, Malachi. Are you, are you out of your mind? Wherein have we despised his name? Tell us that. It's a very serious charge. So number one, and, and I want to repeat this. Number one, the charge is the apathetic worship that existed despised the name of the Lord. It had, watch this, a low opinion of God. And that's why I believe verse number six, the first time this phrase is used in this chapter is this phrase, thus saith the Lord of hosts unto you. Now, now you could skip right over that enough if you're not careful. Because watch this, God wanted them to know who's speaking. Uh, God wanted to remind them of who he was. He is the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? He's the Lord of the army, the host. He's the, watch this. He is the, he is the Lord of the biggest army in the universe. He is the Lord of that. And they needed to be reminded that they're meeting with him. They needed to be reminded that they're meeting, listen, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They needed to be reminded that they're meeting with the ancient of days. They needed to be reminded that they're meeting with the great high M. They needed to be reminded that they're meeting with the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. They needed to be reminded that they're meeting with the creator of everything that they see. They're meeting with the judge. They're meeting with the rewarder. They're meeting with the redeemer. They're meeting with the one that created the breath that they're even breathing. They're they're meeting with the all-knowing. They're meeting with the all-powerful, the, the one that is worthy, the one that is holy, the one that is just. And as I'm preaching to you, there are four and 20 elders right now that are singing to God, holy, holy, holy. And so it was important for Malachi to remind them who was speaking to them. I'm the Lord of hosts. Now, by the way, that's a judgment title. <laughs> That's something not to be uh, taken lightly. I just want you to know that I am the Lord of the army. Are you all here? I'm the Lord of the host, and it is a judgment title, meaning that God has every heavenly and earthly armies at his disposal. He can mess your day up. He can mess a country's day up, a nation that forgets God. The Bible says, blessed are the nation whose God is the Lord. <laughs> The Bible says righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I'm just simply saying that when God says, I'm the Lord of the host, that's a statement of judgment. And I would dare say that he's saying to America, I am the God of the host. I am the Lord of the host. And you realize this, that you and I, and I'm the, the pastor here, and I understand that, you and I can be doing something that is absolutely wrong and not know it. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. But a deeper problem is this. We could be doing something that's wrong and not care to know it. That's apathy. Listen, if you don't know you're doing something wrong, you find out what you're doing is wrong and you get it right, that's a good thing. But if you're doing something wrong and you found out that you're doing something wrong and you don't care that you're doing something wrong, that's a huge problem. 
That's where God comes and says, I'm the Lord of hosts. So he explains this charge, and I don't have a lot of time, but look at verse number seven. Okay, let me explain it to you. He says, uh, ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. Polluted bread. You ever, you ever get into a loaf of bread and you find one of those green moldy spots? Only after you op- open it and ate about four pieces of bread out of that? And then you find, oh, that's pretty nasty. Are y'all here? Polluted bread. Bread was, in essence, to be able to be eaten. The bread should have been good bread. The bread, in other words, the priest should have been able to eat some of that bread. In fact, they were okay to eat some of that bread uh, because the priests were living off of some of the offering coming in to help them, to sustain them. But it should have been edible for God, even though God didn't eat the bread, but it should have been good enough to eat. Can you imagine this? Oh, we got some moldy bread here, honey. Let's take this to the temple and give it to God. Hey, let's take this old rotten beef. I mean, that thing opened it up. I mean, the fish has been in there for, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks. And you ever have raw fish in a refrigerator and it just goes bad and the whole house knows it or beef, or pork, or whatever. What they were essentially doing is bringing what was polluted to God. Couldn't eat it. It was worthless. And so he explains this charge. that You offer polluted bread upon my altar and say, wherein have we polluted thee? What's wrong with it? And that you say, watch this, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Listen, the bread, by it being polluted... You are essentially saying, it's a serious charge here because it is a requirement of the law. You are essentially saying that God was polluted. God was worthless. The sacrifice was a gift that was to be offered to God. And so, as I noted above, (laughs) the kind of gift someone gives indicates their opinion of the one that's receiving the gift. Are you all tracking with me so far? And so if I were to look at this and evaluate this, I've got to ask myself, how are my gifts? What am I bringing to God? The second thought on this, and I'm not going to dig into this too much. The reason why it was polluted was not because it was just, it was, it was rancid. It was no good, but they were polluting it and defiling the very meaning of the gift. They were actually defiling the, defiling the very name of Jesus Christ, who was going to be the perfect sacrifice. Interesting. And they made, the Bible says, the altar of the Lord contemptible, worthy of contempt. Watch this. Deserving of scorn. That's what contempt means. Disdain. Watch this. Despicable. When someone thinks God is despicable, they don't say God's despicable. No, no, no. They just offer God something that is no one else wants. They offer God the second best. That pollutes God. Now, look, no, here's a good application. I mentioned this here at 9 o'clock. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Holy Ghost in you. Okay? Therefore, the Bible says, uh, which is in you, therefore glorify God in your body, okay, and in your spirit, which are God's. 
So you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Amen. And so with, as a believer, you have a holy God living inside of you. Now watch this. If I do something that defiles the body, do you realize what I'm saying to God? Do you realize, guys, when you click on that website and there's going to be an act that is going to be performed for you to look at that is prohibited to see, and you look at that, not only are you defiling your own body, the Bible says that those sins are against the body, but you're defiling the Holy Spirit of God that's living inside of you. You're saying to the Holy Spirit, I don't think much of you. And how about that level of thinking? Are y'all with me this morning? How about the Bible says, well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And how about the, 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 the words we say, defile a man. Do you realize the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you listens to everything that you say? Every word that comes out of our mouth, God listens to. He's on the other side of the voice. Defiles a man. Can y'all just kind of work with me on this? The contemptible attitude that we have is revealed in the offerings that we bring. This is apathy. So how did they despise the altar? In verse 8, well, he says here, you offer blind for sacrifices. Now watch what it says here in this phrase. Is it not what? I hear just a few people. You got to talk with me here. Is it what? Evil. It doesn't say bad. It says evil. Okay? Evil is another whole level of bad. <laughs> evil is a, a, there's a motive behind evil. I mean, when someone murders someone else, they do it out of an evil motive. Are y'all with me? Are y'all here? And so the blind here are being sacrificed. And so the guy goes out to the barn. He says, oh, oh, yeah, the church service is coming up. Jerusalem, we got to get up there tomorrow. Boys, go out there and get, I'll go out there and see what we got. Now we got the best. That's a nice calf. I can't hurt him. Oh, (laughs) let's get this calf down here. He just ran into a post because he can't see it because he's blind. And he's got one leg that can't work. And it's sickly. It's got the scours. I know it stinks. Throw it in the back of the uh, cart. Let's get it up to Jerusalem. Give it to God. After all, God is going to burn it anyway. Are you all here? Is not this evil? It's a powerful thought. It's a powerful thought. And so how did they despise the altar of the Lord? By bringing corrupt sacrifices. The people knew better. But apathy gets you in a mindset where you just don't care. You just don't care. Just another animal sacrifice, just another church service. I got to work the nursery again. I got to sing the special. I got to greet the people when they come in. I got to take the offering. I got to count the offering. I got to scrape the sidewalks off because no one else is going to do it. No one pays me to do this. I got to stay here because people won't leave the building and I got to lock up the doors. Sacrifices. Diseased, crippled, blind, worthless animals. Couldn't use them, couldn't sell them, couldn't pawn them off. Give them to God. It's amazing how much junk shows up at a church when people will clean out their barns. You know, I just saw this in the corner, just thought I'd give it to the Lord. 
This is a bunch of junk. Well, it's from my heart. It's like when I was a college student. They would just bring offerings to the college students. We would have cans of hominy brought in. Thank you. Help us, preacher boys. Hominy. Just give it to this the Lord's gift for you. Thank you so much. Offer to a governor, he says. Go take, go take your governor out and give him this what you're giving me. And give it to him. See if he likes it. Are you all with me? See, God, God is more important than a government or a governor or a president. So why do people think that they can get away with giving him inferior gifts? Why does God get our second best? If we do something for God, we ought to do it right. If we build something for God, it ought to be right. Are you all with me? If we give something to the Lord, it ought to be something that God is pleased with. An offering while pleasing to God. Apathetic worship despises the name of the Lord. Number two, those who are guilty of apathetic worship still want the blessings of the Lord. Those who are guilty of apathetic worship still want God's blessings. Look, if you want verse number 10. Now watch this. There's a lot of people that have, they don't even know they do it. And, and sometimes your heart doesn't even, it's desperately wicked. The Bible says who can know it. But there are people that have strings attached to their service to God. Motives. It may be accolades. It may be, um, I'll do this if God does this. But if God doesn't do this, I'm not doing this anymore. You all with me? And they start calling their own shots, and they start doing their own thing. Look at verse 10. Again, those who are guilty of apathetic worship still want the blessings of God. Verse 10. Who is there among you that would shut the doors for naught? For naught. Or nothing. Neither do you kindle a fire on mine altar for naught. In other words, who is here that would do any, just anything for the Lord for nothing? No one's going to pay you. No one's going to give you a pat on the back. No one's going to say, hey, really good job. No, you're not going to get anything. You're doing it for God. You're kindling his fire, he says. You're shutting the doors, but you're doing it for nothing. Who is here that's going to do that? And the point is this passage that they were serving God for what was good for them. They were serving God. It was worthless worship. It was apathetic worship. It was pointless worship. It was a waste of time. And and God, the Bible is very clear here. He says, I have no pleasure in you. Here's that phrase again. Saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. You must as well keep your money. Keep your gifts. Keep your voice. Keep your time. Because I'm not accepting it. Isn't that a powerful fault? So, people can find themselves in a place 
where they're just kind of playing tag with God. What if God gave you cancer? Is he still God? If your life tomorrow falls apart and you've served God faithfully all your life and everything goes to pot, is he still good? He's still wonderful. I think we have American culturalized the Bible to the, st- to the statement that, that boy, if, if, if things are good in my life, God is good. If things are not good in my life, God is not good. The cosmic buddy that we have to, we pray to, we ask kind of like a help me to, to get me through a day, kind of a crutch. No, he's a wheelchair, man. You just climb in him. He, he, he is everything. But those who are guilty of apathetic worship still want the blessings of God. Number three. Apathetic worship removes, and I'm borrowing a phrase from Revelation. I'll explain what this is in a little bit. There's this, what I'm about to say is all through the Bible. You can study it. It's a very interesting study. But it shows up again in verse number 11, where it says this, and I'll mention the point here in a little bit. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the what? Not the Jewish people, right? But among the Gentiles, correct? Do you realize this is one of the earliest verses in the Old Testament about what was going to come later? As I said, the Jewish people, which we support politically, nationally, we support them because Revelation or Genesis 12, 2 tells us to. I will bless them, the curse, I bless thee, curse them, the curse thee. The only reason God has not brought down judgment on America is because we've been doing at least something to support the nation of Israel. We understand that. Galatians backs this up. Romans backs this up. What they were doing, essentially making the altar of God contemptible, becoming apathetic to the things of God. Listen to the point here. Apathetic worship removes the candlestick and gives it to someone else. Y'all get that? Some of you Bible students understand this. They're dark now. We have light now. If you go to Israel and try to bring up the name of Jesus Christ, it's as if they can't understand Judgment, they cannot understand eternal, largely speaking. They can't understand eternal damnation. Why? Their minds are blinded. They've been given a spirit of slumber. Are you all with me this this morning? God removed the light that he gave them and gave them to the Gentiles. All right? Now stay with me so far. Look in Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation 2. Kind of pull this together here. And he says from the rising of the sun to basically the setting of the sun, there's going to be a time where the Gentiles are going to worship me. They're going to be praying to me. They're going to be worshiping to me. And all day long, everywhere, nations will worship me. There's going to be a time. You're not going to see this right now, Malachi's day, but there's going to be a time where they will. Now, look in Revelation application here, verse number one. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, listen to this. These things write, uh, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's a light. 
Now, here's what he says to this church in Ephesus. There's seven churches. But look at what he says here in verse number two. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. That's good. Works, labor, patience. You're doing good things. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And has tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. That's a good church. The church will be able to distinguish who is a liar, who is not a liar. They did. And that was commendable to them. Verse number four. And has borne and has patience for my name's sake and has labored and has not fainted. You are doing good in these areas. You're not fainting. You're laboring. You're working. You're, 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 you're making sure things are right. You're doing everything good. Now look at the next verse. And it says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast what? Left carries the idea of exiting. Left thy first love. And then verse number four, five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and what? Repent and do the what? First works or else I will come unto thee. Look at this word quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Nobody said to Ephesus, he said, you're doing good. You got some things right. He said, but you left your first love. He said, if you repent, get back to the first love. If you don't, I'm going to take the light away. I'm going to take it away. You come to church, but you're not going to have light. And I dare say, listen, that there are churches that are meeting today. The candlestick's gone. Ichabod is written on top of the, the building. There's, there's, there's no Holy Spirit moving in the congregation. There's no one getting saved. Baptistry water is being stirred. Disciples aren't being made. Why? Candlestick is gone. Okay? So the point is this, that God is able to remove light or remove blessings and give those blessings to someone else. That can happen on a church level, family level, individual level. Watch this at a national level. Where our nation, as I said, can have God say, you're on your own. I'm done. I'm done. And I dare say that the problem in Washington is not as a result of bad politicians. It's a result of bad Christians and church pews all across our country. That is true. Apathetic worship removes the candlestick, removes the light, removes the blessings, gives it to someone. Do you realize we don't have a corner on God? Our nation doesn't. Our church doesn't. We don't. God can take the light away and watch this. I'm going to talk about this in the home builders class tonight. You get, a, you get a family with no light, you've got all kinds of problems. You can look at the works of the flesh, and you start multiplying the works of the flesh in personalities inside a home with no light. It's a mess. It's a mess. This is pretty striking, pretty pointed, isn't it? To those in Malachi's day. Wherein? Then look in verse 12. I'm almost finished. Those who will worship the, look at verse 12, but ye have profaned it, and that you say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even the meat is contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what, I, I had you in Revelation, go back to Malachi, I apologize. Ye said also, behold, what weariness is it, verse 13, and ye have snuffed at it. I try to look up the word snuff, I mean, all kinds of things when you find out snuff. 
I was with a police officer, snuff, <laughs> the other day. And, uh, and I understand. I did, I did the same thing. I don't do it anymore. Some of you have no idea, no idea what we're talking about, but some do. Snuff. Okay. Snuff. I know what I'm talking about. I wish I didn't. Snuff. That's not what it's talking about here. Watch this. Snuff. It has some kind of gesture attached to it. So I, I looked this up. I'm, I looked up the 1828 definition diction, and trying to understand what this is, it carries the idea of that snort, if you would, that, that kind of breath, that just disdain, and I don't want it. Snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And you brought that which was torn and lame and sick. Thus you brought an offering. Shall I accept this at your hand, saith the Lord? Danger of apathetic worship is that, watch this, they profane their worship. God is holy and we are not. But we are to be holy as he is holy. And it is to come into agreement with his holiness and not treat him as just the ordinary cosmic Joe, cosmic buddy. He's God. They wouldn't say it. These were priests after all. They, they had to say the right things in the service. They had to do the right things. And, but their worship was polluting. Their worship was snuffing at the things of God. Weariness. Look at the phrase here. Behold what weariness. Oh, I'm so tired of serving God. I'm just disgusted with this. I got to go meet my disciple Lee today. I don't want to do that. Weary. Now we do get weary. When that attitude carries into our worship, we're in trouble. Something they had to endure. I preached a message several months ago on pastor burnout. Pastors just burning out. People burning out. It's a horrible thing. Things we have to deal with and fight and work with today. And sometimes we just need to get along with God. Repent. Come back to our first love. I think every one of us all remember. We had a wonderful time on Wednesday night prayer meeting. We all remember when we got saved. The moment that we heard the gospel for the first time or the second time or third time. And the moment you finally said, yes, Lord. That time, thinking about that time, because there's a great warning here of, of apathetic deception. I'm not going to, so much here, I, I can't unpack it all, but the Holy Spirit. You look in verse number 14, there's, there's, there's a deceptive nature to this. And people think that they're okay when they're not. Look at verse 14. But curse be the what? The deceiver which hath in his flock a male and a valeth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king. There's another reference to him, God, saith the Lord of hosts. My name is dreadful among the heathen. There is a deceptive nature to false worship. There's a deceptive nature to apathetic worship that we need to be very, very careful of, that you might be wrong. 
Your attitude might be wrong. Your motives might be wrong. Your worship might be wrong. And that's a dangerous place to be as a believer. So number one, apathetic worship despises the name of the Lord. Number two, those that are guilty of apathetic worship still want the blessings of God. Number three, apathetic worship removes a candlestick and gives it to someone else. Number four, those that would worship the Lord must change their apathetic attitude or be cursed. Number five, the way out out of apathetic worship is very simple. It's in verse number nine. Watch what it says. And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. Look, look at Malachi's collective. I'm with you in this. If we don't get this thing right, we're in a mess. And there carries an idea here that it better be quick. Beseech, beg, pray that you get right with God. The expression's bold. The expression's simple. And we, as God's people, ought to pray for divine favor. We ought to pray for us to have right hearts when we worship God, that he would be gracious to us. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would please just think about this, God has been gracious to us. He's been gracious to you. And he can be gracious to us by repentance. That's, by, that's why 1 Corinthians 15, 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. So we finished the Bible study on Tuesday night showing the judgment of God's withdrawal. And I said, the only thing that can delay this, there's several principles, but one of those is repentance. And then we had a discussion. What is that? (laughs) Repentance. Repentance is necessarily going to church. Repentance is not necessarily reading your Bible. Repentance is a turning around. Acknowledging where you are. Being honest with yourself. Acknowledging where you are. Agreeing with God. And turning and going the other way. Repentance. And I say here, because apathetic worship can only be remedied by recognizing where you are. Be honest with God. Stop lying to yourself and lying to God. Be honest with God. He already knows the truth. That lady told me, I don't go to church because I'm afraid that God's going to find out who I am. Whatever. Okay. Be honest with God, okay? Repent. Renew. Renew your mind and your heart through the Holy Spirit. And restore your love for God. They didn't do that. There's no evidence. They just kept making excuses. Where? Where? And maybe some of you are going to leave here today saying, where where have I done that? We say, it's me. It's me, O Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Revival starts with this kind of digging into our own hearts. And I'm talking to myself. Because we get apathetic. We're not pagans. We're not worshiping golden calves. We're Bible believers. Unfortunately, we can be very apathetic. 